The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have a right to an attorney prior to or during any question. If you can't afford one, the court will want one for you. Do you understand your rights? And the wolf is at your door. You're running so This episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast may contain descriptions of acts of violence or that of a sexual nature and should be for people that are 18 years or older. Heed my warning, people. I do not get the facts of these cases off of the internet or for some television show. The facts I'm retelling you were presented to me by the victims of the crimes or the perpetrators who committed the crimes against the victims. My descriptions of the crime scenes, what I saw with my own two eyes. If you're going to get offended, please turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. As always, I'm your host, Woody Overton. And today, I'm going to be continuing the story. It's about two murders, um, but ultimately it's about Christy O'Pry. And when I get done reading these transcripts and reading it, this death penalty phase of the trial, then I'm going to do an episode about um, a call to action, if you will, and let you know the updates in the case and everything else. The, the testimony I'm about to read you is... is after the opening statements, so if you had in, in the death penalty phase, if you haven't listened to the last episode, please go listen to it. It's not a lot of um, back and forth on names, y'all. It, it's I, I just stick with me. Um, I'm gonna start with the the state side, okay, and, and what they're doing, and just hang in there, listen to it. It is an unbelievable story, okay? And I love all y'all. Thank you so much for listening. All right, when I left you last, they, they, the defense had just concluded their 
opening arguments in the death penalty phase. Now, when I say the court, that is the judge talking, y'all. These are read straight from the court transcripts. So we'll start there. The court. All right. All evidence adduced at the guilt determination phase of the trial will be admitted and made part of this proceeding, this sentencing hearing. Mr. Edwards, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the state and the defense have agreed to a joint stipulation of facts for the purposes of this penalty hearing, and as part of that stipulation, I will read the following information, which will be submitted to you as a fact in this case. On January 5th, 1997, the defendant, Eric Dale Mickelson, committed the offense of possession of a Schedule II controlled dangerous substance to which cocaine. The defendant pled guilty to that offense on March the 5th, 1997, in the First Judicial District Court, Caddo Parish, Louisiana. The defendant received a sentence of three years at hard labor suspended, two years active probation, and received a fine of $100. This offense is contained in the criminal docket number 186013. On March 7, 2000, the defendant, Eric Dale Mickelson, committed the offense of simple burglary. The defendant pled guilty to that offense on May 15, 2000, in the First Judicial Court, Caddo Parish, Louisiana. The defendant received a sentence of one year at hard labor. The offense is contained in a criminal docket 207781. On March 7, 2000, the defendant, Eric Dale Milkison, committed the offense of simple burglary. The defendant pled guilty to that offense on May 15, 2000, in the First Judicial District Court, Caddo Parish, Louisiana. The defendant received a sentence of one year at hard labor. This offense is contained in the criminal docket number 207782. Between the dates of August 21, 2001, and September 6, 2001, the defendant, Eric Dale Mickelson, committed the offense of felony theft in the amount of over $100, but not exceeding $500. The defendant pled guilty to that offense on December 10, 2001, in the 26th Judicial District Court, Bossier Parish, Louisiana. This offense is contained in criminal docket number 110231. I'll defer to the defense if that's a correct stipulation to the facts. Ms. Sheely, it is, Your Honor, the court. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is a stipulation, an agreement between the lawyers, both sides. It is therefore to be considered as an established fact, and it will be admitted as evidence. At a later point, if you want to publish that to the jury, you may do so. I would suggest to save time, however, copies be provided so that each juror will have the opportunity to examine them at the appropriate time. Mr. Hall, Your Honor, at this time, the state would like to call Ms. Stacy Trent. Stacy Trent, having first been duly sworn testified as follows, and this is direct examination. 
by Mr. Hall. Question. Stacy, just because we've seen a lot of folks in trial, would you just tell us who you are again, please, ma'am? I'm Stacy Trent. I'm Charlie's Martin's youngest granddaughter. Question. Stacy, I want you to tell us, please, ma'am, in a little bit more detail than what we did before about your all's family. I just want you to lay it down for them where we understand, I guess, by generation. You've already said Charles Martin is your grandfather, correct? Answer, correct. Question, he had children, right? Answer, yes. Question, so who are they? Answer, my mom is his youngest child, Cindy. And then my mom has an older brother and sister, Phil and Brenda. So my grandparents had three kids. My grandpa came from 11 children, and he has two sisters that are still living, my Aunt Dolly and my Aunt Betty. Question. With regard to who we're talking about, we've got kind of two generations we're talking about right now. So I guess I should really start with the oldest first, if I want to follow my order of respect. Are Aunt Dolly or Aunt Betty in the courtroom today? Answer. No, my Aunt Dolly's daughter is here today. Question. Where's Aunt Dolly's daughter? Answer. Karen. She's right there. Question. This is Karen right here? Answer. Yes. Question. I would ask Karen if you would stand up, please, so everybody can see who you are. I apologize about springing that on you, but I'll do this with everybody over here. Now, we got Mr. Martin's children, okay? We've already met Cynthia, right? Answer, right. Question, we got others though, right? Answer, Uncle Phil, who is in here? Question, in the courtroom now, or he's just outside? Okay, he's outside and... Answer. My Aunt Brenda? Question. Is Aunt Brenda here? Answer. No, she's not. Question. So moving on down to your generation now. Answer. Okay. Question. And I want you to do not only your family, but your cousins too. Answer. Okay. Question. Tell us about that. Answer. There's nine total grandchildren. My Aunt Brenda has three daughters, Kathy, Mary, and Nancy. And my Uncle Phil has three children, Paul, Rachel, and John. And then there are the three of us. My brother Chris is the oldest. I'm in the middle. And then I have a little brother named Martin. So there's nine. Question. Are any of them in the courtroom? Answer. I don't think so. Question. There may be some confusion about who is allowed in the courtroom right now, I guess. Answer, yeah, I don't remember. Question, so I'll quit asking you that. So now we're at the grandchildren, right? Don't we have some great-grandchildren? Answer, there's 20 total. Question, I want you to start with yours because you've been busy, haven't you? Answer, I have five children. I have four sons and just recently had a little baby girl. 
I have Mike is my oldest. He just turned 17. I have Caden, who's 11. Noah, who is seven. Mark Andrew is about to be five. And I have a little four-month-old daughter named Charlie. Question. And you said that there were 20 so far in this generation? Outside of yours, can you give some voice to your siblings and cousins' children, please? Answer. Uh, I think I can. My oldest brother has a son, Larson, who's 18. And then my younger brother, Martin, has two little boys, Jacob and Joseph. They're nine and three. And then my cousin, John, has Jarrett, Trace, Zach. Those are the three boys. And then Caitlin. My cousin, Rachel, has a daughter named Meredith. And then my cousin, Paul T., has a daughter named Morgan. And then Mary, Kathy, and Nancy, my Aunt Brenda's kids, they have children that are actually old enough to have children, but they're still his great-grandchildren, and that's Benjamin, Madeline, and Nicholas. They go with Kathy. And then Jeff and Sarah go with Mary, and then Holly goes with Nancy. Question, okay? Answer, do you want some great greats now? Question, well, I would just like to know where everyone else goes. Tell me about the great parts. Answer, okay. Then Jeff has Rachel, and Hayden had then a step named Asher. Those are three of his great greats. And then Ben has a daughter named Ella. That makes four. And Madeline has Russ, so he's five. Total great, great grandchildren. Question. So Mr. Charles Martin is at the top of all this. And who all these people look to in that way that we do for our fathers, correct? Answer, correct. Question. And I want to know... How do you all call him? How did you call him? Answer. Well, growing up, I always just referred to my grandparents as Grandpa Martin and Grandpa Rowe to distinguish. But my second son, Caden, I don't remember where he got it. I don't know if it's just the way he said it when he heard Grandpa Martin, but somehow it came out Grandpappy. And so from the time he was about two, so for about the past nine years, everybody in my crew started referring to him as Grandpappy. My friends call him Grandpappy. We just changed his name. The world has become a smaller place, and people are traveling more freely between countries than ever before. And companies are doing more business outside of their home countries than ever before. The geniuses at Rosetta Stone saw this trend beginning to develop years ago and have dedicated decades toward researching and refining the best and most efficient way to teach someone a new language. Rosetta Stone has been one of our most loyal sponsors here at Real Life Real Crime and The Daily Show, and that's because many of you out there have trusted Rosetta Stone to prepare you for everything from a family reunion to a once-in-a-lifetime trip to a business trip in a faraway country. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program in the galaxy. Rosetta Stone's been there for us with a great product at a great price. Rosetta Stone is the trusted expert in language learning for 30 years with millions of users. 
Rosetta Stone's intuitive process helps you pick up a new language naturally so you retain what you learn, and their true accent speech recognition feature is like having a personal trainer. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Real Life Real Crime and The Daily Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. Au revoir. Question. I know it's going to have an effect in your immediate family, like many of us in, in some families, and I hear different names for grandparents, and in some family it's the same. How was it in y'all's? answer all of ours called him grandpappy in my side and my friends and things question so when you say your friends and things that's the trickle out effect that i'm asking answer yeah question grandpappy kind of becomes a universal term for mr martin answer yes question and I also recall back, and I just want to refresh everybody's memory. That's how you address your note the night that he was missing, correct? Answer, correct. Question, I want to ask you specifically about your sons now. I want to know, did your grandfather's passing have a particular effect upon them? And if so, would you tell them what it was, please? Answer, well, the night we realized that he was missing, all of my kids were in the car with us, and we just packed up and went back over there, and so they spent the night outside in the vehicle. My two middle boys, Caden and Noah, they just could not sleep. They couldn't. It was awful. They would have to sleep on the floor in a room. It lasted for years. Noah still wants to know, are our doors locked? Is the alarm set? Just scared. Various things would make them think of Grandpa so they would cry. Or Noah, for years, made comments about the situation. He's seven now. He was three and a half then when it happened. Question. I want to ask you now, and that way we talked about your boys, I want to ask you about your whole family. Was there a particular... Tell me about particularly what your grandfather bought, and what's now missing? Answer. Well, my grandpa was cute. First of all, he was a cute little man with twinkly eyes, and he was fun, and he was involved in our lives. He was not someone that just sat around and didn't talk or had little involvement. He was always telling us something that he had read about in a magazine or whatever, He knew about the Constitution, about the Bible, telling my boys about gardening and how to garden. But more than that, he showed us. And when he would take us in the backyard, we would pick vegetables with him. I say we because I did it as a kid, and then my children did it. At one point, he had a dog back there. I remember every time my boys came in, he would let them go outside and feed that dog just because they wanted to. Get the water hose, pull it around, feed the dog, that kind of thing. 
dumping out the, the coins, telling them where all the different coins came from, and giving them coins to start their own, their own collection that they still have, he would teach us everything. I mean, you name it, he knew something about everything. Question. Well, I guess what I'm gathering from what you're saying and from what we remember from the previous trial, that like with the coins, your all's family had a lot of tradition. Is that correct? Answer. Yes. Question. All right. And this tradition extended everywhere that these people would think holidays, birthdays, all that stuff? Answer. Correct. Question. And your grandfather was part of all that? Answer. Oh, yeah. He would come to everything, even when he was hurting, and he would have his crutches, is what I call them, with the little handle. If he didn't feel good, he always showed up at the kids' birthday parties. I mean, I have pictures of him at Party Central and wherever we were. It wasn't like, oh, well, no need to be there. It's a kid-type thing. He was there. If he was invited, he was coming. Of course, I spent years at his house as a kid for Christmas, and then we carried that over to my mom's house, and he would walk in with trash bags full of gifts. My mom and I would always say, okay, we're going to get everybody's gifts from you. We got it all. It didn't matter. He was coming with it. Came with all kinds of food, whatever he could. I remember he would put them in Tupperware containers and like he would dump out a can of artichokes and stick it in a Tupperware container or a can of beans he'd bring all that in for whatever holiday it was. Question. Well, you said two things I want to get into. And I want to notify you of both of the questions. I don't want to ask you just about one. You talk about food and tradition. And I want to ask you, was there a specific food he used to do for Christmas? And you also said, just by way to get your brain going, about him being on crutches and playing with the children. And I want to know about both of those things. In turn, could you tell us about those, please? Answer. Yeah. Gumbo was what he did at Christmas on Christmas Eve, which I still do. I actually have his big gumbo pot, and I always say that when you use your grandparents' stuff, or if you make something with their stuff, you make it with love, so it tastes extra special. So I always use that pot and make gumbo at Christmas Eve. When my grandpa would come in, my children were intrigued by him. They would be waiting at the door. If they knew he was coming, or they would see his car pull up, and he'd get those little crutches out and get them up and start acting like he was shooting them and that kind of thing. He would scoot through the house messing with them, wrestling with them, playing with them. The whole goal was to catch them and nibble their ear, as he called it, which would gross them out. Question. Christmas is different now, isn't it? Answer. Yes. Question. Tell me about that. Tell me about how Christmas is now with his absence. Answer. 
Well, we miss him. We miss all his stories. We miss his face around there. We miss somebody coming in with all those bags. And the kids are missing getting to hear the stories or sit on his lap and hear him play his harmonica, which is one of the main things that he did at every family get-together. I mean, he would bust it out wherever he was at. But play his harmonica, singing the songs, he made up music. And so he would teach us the words and things like that. Question. So can you tell me more about he played his harmonica? Did he use sheet music or did he use something else? Answer. Oh, no. He just played it and actually composed songs and, like, made up the music that went with them so that he could do it on the harmonica and then do the words. But he knew everything by heart, and he would play them, and then he would beat them on his leg to get the spit out and let the kids take a turn. My oldest brother actually kind of learned how, from all the years of being around my grandpa, he gave us the harmonicas. Mr. Hall. Your Honor, may I approach the witness, please? The court. Yes, sir. Mr. Hall. Let the record reflect these exhibits have previously shown to the defense counsel. Question. I'm going to ask you about three items I'm putting up here. And the first I've marked P1 and P2. Tell me about those first, please, ma'am. Answer. This is my grandpa down in our lake house. Question, and what's the other one? Because I'm going to throw them up on the board, but I've got to get them in evidence first. What's P2? P2, I answer. P2 is the last Easter we have my grandpa. He's playing harmonica at my brother's house. Mr. Hall, Your Honor, I would offer and introduce P1 and P2. Mr. Galmud, no objection. The, the court, so ordered. Question. All right, I've got P1 up now. Tell me about where this is and what's going on. Answer, that's down in our camp house, and he's got a World War II veteran and proud of it hat on. And I can see some chairs in the background, so I'm assuming that we were probably having a big party down there. We would fish and ski and grill out, that kind of thing. He's sitting on the couch inside making kind of a silly face. Question. So the camp house is a place where you would all get together. Is that correct? And you're shaking your head. Yeah, right. Answer. Yes. Question. Are you, you still having these gatherings, right? Where the family goes, right? Answer. We have a new location. But we, do, we do have family gatherings. Question. And how are those different? Answer. Well, he's not there. He did one time come with us down to Florida which was real special because it was a long way and it was hard for him to go, but he did make it there with us once. Question. I'm going to move it now to P2, and I want to ask you about the last Easter with him. What can you tell us about what we're looking at here? Answer. Well, you're looking at him playing the harmonica. That's me standing there holding Mark Andrew. That's my youngest boy. And that's my Uncle Bob who's my grandma's sister. That was my grandma's brother's wife. I'm sorry. He's the brother, and he's and my grandpa are pretty good buddies.
question. So if we had heard of Uncle Bob before, that's a picture of Uncle Bob, correct? Answer, correct. That wrote the, that wrote the note. Question. I left another object in front of you there, and I've got that as P3, and it says the words on top of it. For Caden, you told us about some songs. You gave me some songs that your grandfather made, right? Answer, yes. Question, and one of them was specifically for Caden? Answer, he used to play a little melody, as he called it, to put Caden to sleep when Caden was a baby. Mr. Hall, Your Honor, I would offer and introduce P3. Mr. Garmud, note our previous objection. The court, so noted, it is admitted. Question, that was for your boy? Answer, yes. Question, Miss Trent, would you answer any questions the fence may have? Answer, yes. Mr. Gallmud, Miss Trent, I'm very sorry for your loss. I have no questions, Your Honor. Mr. Hall, thank you, Stacy. The court, thank you, Miss Trent. Mr. Hall, Your Honor, at this time, the state would like to call Mr. Philip Martin. The court, does anybody need a break? Let's take a five-minute break, please. A short recess was had, y'all. The court comes back in, and, and they say, the court, the judge. The record should reflect that the defendant is present with the counsel, of course. Anything for the record? Mr. Price, I have one thing, Judge, and I apologize for the confusion, but I have another disc to put in the record. When we began today, I put in a disc for the penalty phase, photographs. Apparently, there were two that could not get burned on there. I now have a disc that has the complete version of that. I've written on the outside of the defense PP, all picks added to. I've given a copy to Mr. Edwards. Mr. Edwards, Your Honor, obviously we haven't viewed the photographs. We sent them to be viewed by one of our counsel team. We will withhold any objections at this time. We don't know if we'll have one or not. The court. All right. Ms. Sheely. And I did receive about a minute ago a copy of the transcript, redacted transcript, from Mr. Hall. It was not on that CD that I received. I'm not going to have time between now and, and when the tape needs to be played, so I just want to review it. I just want to put that on the record. Mr. Hall. Your Honor, I've been trying to work this issue out since several weeks ago. I've been trying to do it daily. I do understand that Ms. Sheely is being called upon to question witnesses, but we've got three lawyers. I've spent a good portion of my night last night awake and viewing it, and I would just request that we continue to endeavor in the spirit of cooperation that we've been, and it's my intention to put something agreeable before the jury within the context. They reviewed it several times. I've complied with all their requests, and now I'm asking them to review that. The court. Well, let's be very clear. This is a statement that... Defense has had for quite a long time, correct? Mr. Hall, yes, sir. The court. And actually, as I understand it, there are two statements. One to Bowen, one to McConnell. Two different tape statements. Two different transcriptions. 
My understanding is that this is a lesser redaction of the, at least one of those statements, Mr. Hall. Yes, sir, it is. And really what I'm speaking to is not so much where the court is focused right now. It's just the hyper-technical aspect of this. This is a complicated task. It has taken somebody very skilled in cutting audio so it happens exactly right. And because it's so technical and because there's so many references that could be objectionable because we have been working on this for months, I don't want a problem at the finish line in in that way, the defense and the state, I think, have been in agreement, and that's what I'm looking for, the court. Okay, well, we could take a break for lunch at the appropriate time, of course. You'll have a lot of evidence, as I understand, to present. Mr. Hall, yes, sir, the court. So I don't mind taking a lunch break at 12. I don't mind taking a lunch break at 1. Whatever works and whatever makes it easy for counsel, Mr. Hall. Thank you, Your Honor. I appreciate that. And also, I appreciate you, Ms. Sheely. Ms. Sheely, thank you, the court. Anything else for the record? Mr. Hall. No, sir. I'm ready to go. The court. Thank you. Bring the jury in. The jury's returned to the courtroom. The court. Mr. Hall, please call your next witness. Mr. Hall. Yes, sir. I would call Mr. Phil Martin. Now, Phil Martin, having first been duly sworn, testifies as follows. Direct examination by Mr. Hall. Question. Would you introduce yourself to us, please, sir? Answer. My name is Phil Martin. I'm the son of Charles Martin, the deceased. Question. All right, sir. You're one of how many children of Charles Martin? Answer. I'm one of three. Question. And who are your sisters again, please, sir? Answer, Brenda Hill and Cynthia Grow. Question, we've talked a little bit about tradition in your family through Miss Stacy Trent. I want to continue that line of question with you, please, sir, and tell me about how your family's traditions and other things that you all enjoy have been impacted by the passing of your father. Answer, well, the family tradition at our house was Christmas. And my father was the instigator of many things. One of them was playing his harp that you just heard. The other was he made candy for each and every one of us. And he always told the story of Jesus first. And then he always told stories to the grandkids. And we will miss him. Question. Yes, sir. In his tradition with the family, did he also try to impart questions about morals and values and things like that? Answer. Oh, yes. Question. Tell us about that. Answer. My dad was a patriot. He believed in the freedom of speech. He believed in the Declaration of Independence. He portrayed all of those things to us at a young age. Question. All right. Your father's memory was something to be highly regarded. Is that correct? Answer. That's correct. Question, specifically with provisions of law, do you recall anything, his ability to recall things? Answer, oh yeah. He could quote all the articles in the Constitution. He was a patriot, as I said. He was also the, he founded 
the National Petition Committee, the Citizens Council, and he's probably one of the first ones to ever question the voting record of so many of our politicians before it ever became news media. So he was well-versed in the political arena. Question. Well, we talked about a lot of different notions, Mr. Martin. We talked about religion, the story of Jesus, Christmas. We talked about notions that are important to all of us, how we operate our daily lives, how the Constitution does. Could you tell me how those things, and perhaps I guess you said a lot, the word patriot. So I guess this idea of a love for one's country, how he took that and how if he was able to pass that and implant it in any succeeding generations? Answer, oh yeah. When you came to my dad's house, it was coffee, candy, and politics. So any issue that was prevalent for the day, for the week, for the month, you were going to hear about it. And he always had, obviously, his version, and he was well-schooled. My dad was probably the most uneducated, educated man I ever met. Had he had the means to at the time he grew up in the Depression era, if he had had the means to be a lawyer, he would have been a good lawyer. As a matter of fact, there was a lot of lawyers that didn't want to debate my dad because he was well-versed. And he did read, and he did believe in what our forefathers believed. Question. Yes, sir. These areas that we're talking about have a general impact on the whole family. That is what's gone now, right? Answer. Oh, yeah, it's gone. My dad was our bank, our wealth of knowledge. That's where we went for advice, whether it was family advice, political advice, Everyday advice, he was always there for us first. Question. And while I'm sure horrible for each and every one of you, are there members of your family that have special care needs? And if so, who is that? Answer. Yes, I have a handicapped sister. Question. When you say handicapped, can you give us a little bit more flesh to that skeleton? Answer, yeah, she's mentally handicapped, and my dad was her caretaker all the way up to the time of his death. He had a special way of communicating with my sister that none of us could really comprehend, but she would comprehend, and he had a way of being able to get across to her. We would all be in the room, in the same room with my sister, and you could just tell it was special. It wasn't just a visit. It wasn't just, I'm here to see you today, and I want to be seen. It was a very special meaning that he could communicate with her even though she was mentally handicapped. Question. So, with respect to your sister, she's somewhere the family needs to go visit, correct? Answer. Yes. Question. And who's helping to take care of her now? Answer. My sister has carried that torch, and has done a very, very good job with that. Question. You're referring to Cynthia? Answer. Cynthia. Question. Have either you or your sister Cynthia, I know you said 
you can't do what your father did. Have y'all been able to replicate on what your father did? Answer, no. Question, in a word, no? Answer, no. Question, in a word, no, your sister? Answer, absolutely not. Not at this time. Question, let me ask you about other areas of his life. And I think you've been very clear about this special relationship that he injected with what the traditions were, how the values were passed down, as they should be. Did he have a particular avocation or a hobby or a thing that he liked to do around his house? Answer, yes. My dad liked to, um, he was a good gardener. He was a good grower of vegetables. And at one time, we had a garden that spanned two of my relatives and our house. Most people have a place to play in their backyard. We had a truck farm. So, yeah, he was very good. And when he did plant something, it actually grew. And we were actually able to eat it. And that would be most anything that you could purchase in the grocery store. And I thought that was phenomenal, that you could actually plant stuff, it would come up, and it was edible. So, yeah, he had a green thumb. Question. Mr. Martin, if I had to ask you to reduce your words, and everybody understands it's kind of an impossible question, but if I had to ask you to reduce words, what your father's loss means to you and your family, what would you say? Answer. Well, my dad was the patriarch of the family. And I've already mentioned that he's a wealth of knowledge. And we will miss, uh, I personally will miss, and I know my sisters will, the opportunities that we had to be with my father. They were very special. It was never a visit with my father. It was he had something to present to us, special every time that we saw my father. So I would miss that, and we never got closure. It was very sudden, and I would miss not being able to see my father the way I would have liked to have seen my father when he passed away. Question. Mr. Martin, I'm sorry for your loss. And would you answer any questions the defense may have, please, sir? Mr. Garmud. Mr. Martin, again, I'm very sorry for your loss. We have no questions of this witness, Judge. Witness, thank you. The court, thank you, Mr. Martin. Mr. Hall, Judge, at this time, the state would call Ms. Paige Dowden. And y'all, I got to end it here for the week because it's a long one and this is huge. And this is where we start getting in um, about Christy. And, and horrible, horrible story and how this case is carried on. And then this is what real life for crime, these are real factual. These are their words, y'all, from the court reporter in the death penalty phase. And this, I guess I've become somewhat desensitized to it because I've done so many of these cases. I'm talking about in person and study them and stuff like that. But you don't get this on court TV or Discovery ID. These are real people telling about 
what the personal losses are for their family members. And now they're talking about Mr. Mr. Martin, who was brutally murdered in his home. Mixon's already been found guilty of this, kicking in the door. They went to rob him for some coins, uh, he and his female accomplice, and she took life in prison because she didn't want the death penalty. But she said that he flipped out. Mr. Martin couldn't hear, and she was always taking advantage of me. Although um, after they found him dead, they found um, Mr. Martin's car at her residence, and that she had a criminal history. And they said that she was taking advantage of him. And he was just a good guy and would help her out whenever he could. But she knew he had coins, knew he had money. They went there to rob him. Um, Milkson. She said, just went crazy, went into the bedroom and choked him to death. He couldn't hear. He didn't even know it was coming, even after they kicked the door open. Choked him to death. Wasn't good enough. A little spot of blood inside the house. Some, you know, that was all in the trial, but which I'm you know, paraphrasing for you now so you understand why we're in the death penalty. Uh, a little bit of blood left in the house, et cetera, and ultimately they took him to Mickelson's property, cut his body into pieces, put him in garbage bags, and drove around the parish and threw him away like trash. And you just heard from a couple of family members, right? 20-something great-grandkids? Patriotic? World War II vet? Must un- Educated, educated man, his son had ever known. Great loss. To be thrown away like garbage. And that's what Milkson was found guilty of, okay? The murder of Mr. Martin. But we're in the penalty phase. And when they talked about redacted documents, they're talking about, I'm telling you, they're talking specifically about Christy O'Pry. And on the next episode, we're going to start with Miss Page Dowden. And, and we'll get into Christie's horrible story. And I'm going to end um, today's episode. Stay tuned, y'all, for next week's. We're going to keep rolling with it. And it just gets more and more. It's going to be um, Christie's stories about to start that I'm going to tell is about to start and then it just gets it gets so involved for lack of words and you get to hear it straight factual evidence as presented in court um, podcast awards please go to podcastawards.com give me your vote register you got to register to vote and they ask you to be, if do you want to be a final judge so if we make the finals you might get selected to judge or not it's the people's choice podcast awards y'all that 18 years old uh y'all blessed me in the years past i've won numerous of them again this year please go register the voting's about to close uh, actually it might be closed by now at the end of the month but go um type in your email type in a password select that you'd like to be a final judge and they'll send you a confirmation email and you go straight into voting. I'm up for the Adam Curry's People's Choice Award and there's a shit ton of them. You don't have to choose them all if you don't want to. You can just 
do the categories, I'm telling you. Adam Curry's People's Choice Podcast of the Year Award. Scroll down to the R's, and I'm under Real Life for Crime. Um, also, Best Male Host in the World, which I won the last two years. Thanks to y'all. Um, under that category, please scroll down to Real Life for Crime. And uh, then scroll down to True Crime, which I won last year. Thanks to y'all. And please click on that. Scroll down to Real Life Real Crime. Select it. Also, the next category being drama and storytelling, which I won twice now because of y'all. Please scroll down and click on Real Life Real Crime. And then under Most Influential Podcaster, which I won last year because of y'all. And all of them were blessing. And I hate to ask, but we we just want to make the finals. And then then the mixed pool of judges that they're going to select will get to make the final decision. But if you would do that, I really would appreciate it. It gives validation to what we do. And I love and appreciate each and every one of y'all. Patreon and convicts, love y'all. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Y'all, if you want to become a member, you can go to patreon.com, um, look up Real Life Real Crime, or go to the Real Life Real Crime community app, download it for free. The convicts or my subscribers in the app. Yeah, um, there's a whole bunch of locked up episodes that have never been released to the public and they get commercial free early releases and all kinds of different um, bonuses and, and things that we do for our Patreon and convicts. And we appreciate it and love y'all. Uh, Louisiana, Oregon procurement agency, LOPA. My jam always will be. They're a nonprofit. They save lives every day. But beyond saving the lives, they help these families through the worst times of their lives. And they do all kinds of studies and stuff to y'all. But the, uh, the but they help. I've talked to family members who've been through this process. I've seen the process in action. It will absolutely make you choke up. That's why I support them so hard. So if you, you want to be an organ donor and you're a lifer from, shit, I'm trying to think of the country, England, and in you don't have to be from the state of Louisiana. Go to lopa.org, take a minute, fill out the questionnaire, and become an organ donor and be a hero. And I'm Woody Overton, your host of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And until next time or ever, don't let me catch you on Murder by You. Peace. Yeah, the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have a right to an attorney prior to or during any question. If you can't afford one, the court will point one for you. Do you understand your rights? And the wolf is at your door.